Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Welcome to the Second Tier Podcast. I'm Ryan Dilks and I'm joined by the January transfer window to my summer transfer window. It's Justin Peach. Good day to you, Ryan. Oh, Justin, thank God the transfer window is closed. Deadline day was mental. I could honestly not keep track of what was happening in the end. It was just so much going on. It was disturbingly hectic. And, and, and I say that with such such disappointment because there were so many different reports happening at the same time it was confusing and if you like things to be quite simple like me simple mind simple absorb you don't, you don't want things to be over complicated it was just far too much for me to handle and I ended up probably staying up about an hour and a half after the deadline finished because I was just wired with endless possibilities yeah I was exhausted so I, I went to bed before the deadline closed but it's wow. not like the old days is it we we used to just have Sky Sports News and that was it that was the only mm. way to know what deals were happening and before that it was teletext wasn't it that was the only way you could find God. out God. who your club was after now you've got hundreds of journalists saying different things I had notifications on Twitter for several of them and my phone was just buzzing non-stop it was exhausting it became near pointless didn't it just refreshing twitter because as you say journalists saying different things different reports and it was hard to keep up with but also not not bad information going out but it was information there deals are cancelled deals are back on literally every five minutes it was Mm. just bedlam it was was absolute bedlam it really was it it was just it was. I'm just glad that it's over now because it seems to like boil over to the point of deadline day where there's so many clubs after so many different players and you're just like right, and then it suddenly just stops. <laughs> it's a, uh, it's a lot, isn't it? Um, I also saw a couple of people who said we're the worst in the know account on Twitter, which surprised me because we do not claim to be in the know at all. We were just tweeting what actual in the nose we're saying and of course giving them credit we're out of the know aren't we we are so far out of the know what we're not even involved in the know it depends what the know is if the know is championship football then there's argument to say that we aren't in the know but obviously <laughs> that's obviously in jest we are experts um but with transfers yeah we're not itks we're not we're not linked to any football clubs um yeah that's that's it that's it really we don't break news we never break news we just follow it on we just we just tag along with other journalists the real journalists we're not journalists yeah. we're just we're just content creators in our mum's bedrooms we're pretend journalists aren't we we're the fake journalists we're just gobs on a stick aren't we God, welcome to the stick. number one championship podcast the second tier thank you for joining <laughs> us wherever you are aside from the craziness of deadline day we also had a crazy set of results this weekend i can guarantee nobody has won an accumulator this weekend based on purely the championship results alone. So we'll talk about that, talk about some of the news, including the big deadline day deals, which happened to them finish off as Simon Grayson take for late right at the end. And we'll kick things off with Southampton, whose unbeaten start to the season was ended in dramatic fashion after getting spanked 5-0 away at Sunderland. Ladies and gentlemen, just... Give us a second, Justin Peters. Just getting on his high horse. Uh, are you on there yet, Justin? I've got no reason to be on a high horse. I know this is what you want as a as a podcast host, but I've got absolutely no reason to be on a high horse. I've I've been saying the same thing for the last two weeks for good reason because I've identified numbers that have raised some concerns with me. But I'm not going to gloat 
or anything, as, as some Southampton accounts on Twitter have suggested. I've just merely stated facts over the last two weeks, and those facts have come to fruition in this game, and it's a bit of a wake-up call for everybody. That's it. I'm, I'm done. I mean, we'll go into more depth, but I'm not going to say I told you so, because I have told you so for the last two weeks. I mean, you literally just did say <laughs> everything that you said came to fruition, which sounds a lot like I told you so. So why did you tell us so, Justin? I, I've been saying two things. The cutting edge aspect, which I think is true. Southampton, for example, over the last few, uh, to today, actually, they've had the most touches in the final third more than any other team. 1,300. Second place is 900. So it's a long way. So if you're having that many touches in the final third and you're scoring as many goals as Southampton, I don't think it's quite good enough. They need to be more clinical. They need to be more clean cut in that final third a bit more decisive I would say but defensively that's where the big concerns lie they were so naive out of possession in this game it was crazy absolutely bonkers I've not seen a team of of a team of the quality that Southampton possess be so disappointing and that's putting it kindly by the way in defensive transitions Sunderland could have scored seven or eight they had that many opportunities getting through Southampton's midfield and in behind the back four it was really really concerning but the good news is it's come just before an international break that Martin can get things sorted but like I said it's a wake-up call for the team Martin and the fans as well Justin Peach pissing off a fan base strange really it's usually me doing that and I still disagree (laughs) with you on the attack attacking aspects of it because I still don't really get what the point is that you're trying to make there but we'll leave that aside for now Justin because Southampton fans were annoyed at me for saying they're a bit of a mess at the back and Sunderland can expose that Southampton did not exactly prove me wrong by conceding twice after six minutes and I know look the far bigger concern for me than them going forwards is at the back because all of the goals apart from the second which was a deflection were completely avoidable I mean the last goal was just embarrassing Joseph Mm -hmm. Bennett was taking the piss with how many times he was spinning around yeah doing roulettes Maradona 360s and then he crosses it into a 5 foot 8 16 year old who scores a header (laughs) it's just unbelievable and they've now conceded the most goals in the league which is shocking for a side with the budget that Southampton have it should get better once Taylor Harwood Bellis comes in but it does go back to our previous concerns about the defensive record of Russell Martin teams because it's been poor at every club that he's been at yeah it's true he's just reminded me actually at 2-0 down a Southampton fan tweeted me saying we're dominating the game and that's that's why I found it that's why I found this whole sort of last week mildly amusing because You've conceded the most. You've now conceded the most goals in the league, and you, you seriously cannot be claiming you're dominating games. Um, but you are right. It is concerning, and this is the con- the concern that I had before the start of the season. I still think I still think Southampton are good enough. They've got enough quality, and I do think Russell Martin can get things right. I still think they're good enough to get into the top six. But you can't be a competitive team in the top six defending the way they are. It's it's really it really does yeah makes you makes you sit uncomfortably in your seat. Um, you go back to previous seasons the last six teams to get promoted in uh, from the championship have had the best defences in the league um, and this Southampton team by numbers by the very basic numbers have the worst defence in the league so uh, there's a lot of improving that needs to do and can that be fixed in two weeks well what what can get fixed in two weeks not a lot you're talking about DMs or messages that you had on Twitter I had a DM on Friday night from a Southampton fan who said, um, why are you talking about our defence being bad? We've just signed Mason Holgate and then they can see the oh, God. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I do feel for him. Yeah, it was, a, it, it was a good moment for us, wasn't it? Being able to look back on some of the messages we've had on Twitter over the past uh, few days. But yeah, let, let's, let's stop um, being all uh, egotistical for a sec, Justin, and talk about how good Sunderland were because Freya called this performance absolutely effing mint. Ben said absolutely effing unbelievable. Michael says five effing nil. A lot of swearing here from Sunderland fans. And Agent Mackham says, who needs a striker? Um, and on that, it looked like deadline day had the potential to be a bit of a disaster for Sunderland. They had about 100 players linked with moves away, but only ended up losing Roster and Lyndon Gooch. Brought 
in for themselves and followed that up by thumping one of the favourites for promotion 5-0. Quite a good couple of days for Sunderland. And look, they've had a slow start to the season, but do you think this could be a catalyst for their season to finally get underway? I think it can be a jump start because they have been performing well. And I know it's a bit of a cliche, but you can... You can suggest that a hiding for a team has been coming from a Sunderland perspective because they have been creating chances in every game they've played. They just haven't been clinical enough. And I like the way Tony Mowbray explained Brad, explained Bradley Dack's role in the team in that in that he's really good at getting in those goal scoring positions. And he's spot on and he, he did that time and time again in this game. It's just whether or not a, a you know an actual goal scoring striker would be a, a you know, more of a benefit throughout the, the course of the season. But Tony Mowbray for me has got the balance of this team really it has got it right you know they can defend when they when they need to defend they can counter when they need to counter and they can be a possession based side when they need to be as well and that's why there was the 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 smell of potentially hammering a team that yeah, that was coming and they did it with Southampton and they took their prisoners as well in doing so but yeah it's it's a really good balanced team with a good manager at the helm who i think play good football and they just needed a jump start and this as you say i think it could be it it could be it but it's the championship. They could go on a losing streak in October. You never know. You never know. You talk about it being a balanced team. The only concern is still the obvious thing, a striker. They did sign two on deadline day, I think it was. Both I hadn't heard of. So mm. whether they're any good or not, only time will tell. But that's the obvious concern. But I mean, they've just scored five. So there are obviously goals in this team. They have got some brilliantly talented players. 16-year-old Chris Rigg, who became the youngest goalscorer in the championship since Jude Bellingham. A um, few facts from around the time he was born. Justin Umbrella by Rihanna was number one in the charts. Yeah. Shrek the Third was in the cinema, as was Pirates of the Caribbean at World's End. Just a bit depressing, really, that someone as good as him is now playing first-team football in the championship when he was born around that time um, and look we had high expectations of them again at the beginning of the season this is a great example of what they can do and hopefully there is more to come from Sunderland also got to be said Pierre Equa a wonderful footballer he had one of the best games a midfielder will have in the championship of all season of course got the two goals one of them debatably his but even if you ignore that he ran the midfield and for a 21 year old to be able to do it as well as him is really special. I was mm -hmm. very impressed with him towards the back end of last season. He was one of the standout players in he that was. great form and in the two playoff games. I think he's just absolutely class. I think he's so composed for his age as well. Um, to be able to nonchalantly do what he does is, is great. And I made a joke a few weeks back, didn't I, about West Ham probably buying someone like Equa in a few years' time for 15, 20 million pounds. I stand by it. He's going places. As long as he keeps on developing, keeps on putting the performances that he's, he is doing, you know, he, he can he can really go to the top because he's, he's comfortable in possession. He reads the game well. And, and there are those elements where, you know, Sudden had to defend in this game and he was disciplined in doing so as well. So, yeah, lots of developing to go, but is that the right place to, to do it? Yeah, I really, really, really like him. Left footed as well. Brilliant. Yeah, top player. Also need to give you an apology, actually, Justin. It turns out it is pronounced Joe Bellingham, not Joe Thank B. Thank you. Thank well, you. Well, I, I was pretty sure that when he was at Birmingham, they were calling him Joe B. So it seems yeah, like he's had a name change since moving. Well, maybe, but... It just—it's not a two—it's not a two-word or a two-two-syllable yeah, name, is it? It's Job, not Joe B. Yeah, I, I did think it was strange. I'll yeah. take the high road on that one. I will, I will boast. I will boast. It's a shame because Joe B is much more enjoyable way of pronouncing it in the Sunderland accent so we're missing out on that unfortunately <laughs> Leicester's 100% start to the season has come to an end they were beaten 1-0 by Hull thanks to a Liam Delap goal Mick says Leicester's luck finally ran out we'd be lying if we said a result like this wasn't coming for Leicester as we said last week despite winning every game so far they haven't been great have they <laughs> I don't know if that's harsh or not they've been okay they, 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 they've been okay they've been ticking along in their quality not of great, season <laughs> Not 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 fantastic, but by any means, not fantastic, not great. You are right, um, and they've been relying on their quality to see them through games. Which, to tell you the truth, is what you expect with a team like Leicester, who've just come down from the Premier League, got a new manager, and got some quality players in abundance. Um, and I think it does come at a good time in that it's a bit like Southampton. It's just a bit of a wake up call that you are going to get games like this in the Championship. I think Maresca nailed it in his post match press. To be honest, when he said that they've had a good start, they've they've won all their games so far. They're not going to win every game this season. It's not PlayStation, and he is spot on. I do think as well in this game that 
Leicester were no better or worse than they have been in any in any other game. They were just unfortunate that Hull went ahead in the way they did with a deflected goal. And Leicester struggled to convert the chances that they were creating throughout the game. But there were certainly positives to take. It's just a little bit disappointing that it's come at home. You'd lose at home. It's frustrating. But you've got two weeks to put things right. I think one concern for me is their apparent difficulty in breaking teams down who sit deep, which is going to happen more often than not this season because Leicester are a big scalp for teams, aren't they? So Mm -hmm. teams are going to sit back and take any result they can get against them. And that's a big gear change from last season where they didn't have to deal with that too often, did they? Against Hull, Leicester barely created anything substantial. They did hit the post, but there wasn't a chance where you thought they should have scored there. And they kind of just played into Hull's hands, who were happy to sit back and break forward when they can. You consider the amount of talent Leicester have, it has got to be better. We'll all let them off because four wins from five games is a great start on the face of it. But they won't get promoted if they play like they have been all season. It is only five games, but at some point Leicester will have to be better. And we will have to say Leicester have been poor if things don't improve. Let's talk about Hull, who are sixth after this win. Three wins from five games. And I don't know about you, Justin. I'm quite excited about Hull City. I'm I'm intrigued. I'm not excited. I don't get excited about anything, do I? Let's be honest. But I am I am certainly intrigued. I think Liam Racine has got them going in the right direction. We've said that time and time again. They've kept another clean sheet here, which has been a common theme under under Rosie. Um seven defeats in thirty three as well is 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 a is a good record um since he was appointed. Um and going into the game they probably would have been happy with the draw. So to come away and take three points, to lap to get on the score sheet, a lot of positives to take away from it. Um and they showed as well that they can weather the storm. Uh, I know this season when you look at the XG they have been conceding a fair few chances. Um whether or not they're half chances and they've added up or, or, or clear cut chances or, or whatever you um yeah there there are improvements that they need to make but I think this is a game that they can take a lot of confidence from because they've they've gone away to a team with an abundance of quality and come away with a clean sheet and a win it which as we know hasn't happened very often this season or at all this season yeah well the reason I'm quite excited about Hull is because of many things mainly because of the potential in this team Liam Delac looks a completely different player to the one we saw for Preston and Stoke. He's got so much more confidence. That's just clear to see. Scott Twine, incredible player who's looked sharp. Aaron Connolly's been in great goal-scoring form. They've been a bit open at the back. They have the highest expected goals against in the division. However, that stat has been blown up a bit by two games where they did get battered. So plenty of work for them to do. But when I say get battered, actually, they were under the cosh quite a bit. I think being battered is a bit harsh, to be honest. As I say, plenty of work for them to do, but they have got a very bright young coach in Liam Rosinia, who you and I rate very highly, Justin. I think he's got a lot of potential as a manager. This team has a lot of potential in it too, because there's a lot of players here who are young and have been highly talked about in their careers previously, but it's just not worked out for them for one reason or another so far. Could it all come together for them at Hall? The signs have been good so far. But I, I do agree. I also had a couple of Hull fans tweet after we released a clip on social suggesting that um, top six is 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 not going to happen. I, I do disagree. I do think it's a realistic aim for them because, as you said, there's a lot of quality to still come into this team. They they did well in the transfer window, especially in the in the final week of the transfer window, and they got to bed those players in and get them involved. And I still don't think we've we've seen peak Rossini ball or peak Rossi ball as I coined it seconds ago um, at at, uh, at Hull so I, I really do think there's a lot of there's, a, there's so much more to come from this team under Rossini especially in that final third and we're seeing glimpses of it a bit like Leicester they're just, they're just glimpses at the moment of what they can potentially do so yeah both of these teams in this game interestingly um, I think there's a long way to go for them this season Middlesbrough are bottom of the championship with one point to their name. It's after losing 2-0 to QPR. We asked Middlesbrough fans for their three-road reviews. Robbo says, piss and shit. Thanks for that, Robbo. Um, (laughs) (laughs) It's just not happening for Middlesbrough, is it? Particularly going forwards. Last season, they scored the most goals in the league from the point Michael Carrick was appointed with 65 goals from 30 games. They're now the lowest scorers in the division with three goals from five games. Games, not good reading. No, it isn't. Here's my solution though: 
sack Michael Carrick. Hear me out. Sack Michael Carrick. Rehire him at the end of October. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Top six, guaranteed. Because that's when it clicks, isn't it? That's when it clicks because Chris Wilder lost his job last season for exactly the same reasons that Michael Carrick's was going through now, the exactly the same circumstances. They were doing well in games. They were creating chances. They were dominant, almost dominant um, in terms of chances created against their opposition side, but they weren't putting chances away. Sat Chris Wilder, brought Carrick in and they were rejuvenated. So solution is sat Carrick, rehire him, mainly because I like him. And then you're going to get top six. It's as simple as that. Football, I, I win at football. There we go. It's an interesting theory. I'll give you that. I think ultimately the simple explanation here is that this is what happens when you go from an attack of Cameron Archer, Tuber Akpom and Ramsey who have moved for a combined 44 million this summer and then go to Morgan Rogers, Isaiah Jones and Emmanuel Latte-Laff. I mean, Latte-Laff had an absolute nightmare against QPR. Missed mm. some glorious chances. and Latte chances. Still, I think we could still be playing now and I'm not sure he will have scored, possibly because he was taken off, but you see my point. Um, and this is why Middlesbrough desperately needed another striker in the transfer window because if Latte-Laff... His confidence is low and that transfer doesn't work out. The only other option is young Josh Coburn. And this is why I feel sorry for Carrick, because he's been completely done over in this transfer window. This is not an attack fit for a top six side. It's simply not. Yeah, I know. I agree with you. And I think that's probably why they're, they're struggling at the moment to get those to convert those chances, because whilst the style of play is is doing well in the final third, um, again, symptomatic of last season, and symptomatic of this season, you do as much business as Borough have done late on in the window. It's going to take a while for those players to get going. And like last season, didn't get going until... When did Carrick get hired? Get hired? Was it pre-World Cup? It was, it was wasn't October. it? So it's pre-World Cup and then you've got another six weeks off for Carrick to embed his ideas into this team. Your business, a lot of your business, a majority of your business needs to be done by second game into a season max. So for Borough to be so delayed in, in doing it late and to replace the quality that they've done, it's, they, they've made it really difficult for themselves and made it really difficult for Carrick. So I'm not blaming Carrick for this um, at all by any means. Uh, I think the, the, the thing has got to be pointed upstairs and the lack of movement early on in the window. Simple as that. Yeah, I do agree with you, but I don't think he is completely blameless because last season they were leaking quite a few goals. That's true. Yeah. And it didn't matter because they were outscoring teams. Now they can't find the back of net and are still leaking goals. Yeah. So that's still an issue. The thing is, ultimately, I don't know where Middlesbrough go from here because the transfer window is closed now. This is what they've got to work with. And I just don't think it's enough to match their ambitions for this season, unfortunately. Let's talk QPR, though. Justin, a great win for them. Andre Dazelle with a worldie. I absolutely love it when a ball is struck so well that it's still rising as it's going in. And that has properly gone top bins, and it? Got to be beautiful of the season contender, that one. Lewis on Twitter says, keep underestimating us. And there's been a lot of QPR fans who have suddenly started taking punts at us for having Gareth Ainsworth, bottom of our list of managers, as amongst other things. Um, I will add, a quick Twitter search shows the majority of those accounts, which were also slagging off Ainsworth, um, which, which were having a go at us for criticising Ainsworth but also slagging off Ainsworth is what I mean to say but what do you think Justin is Gareth Ainsworth proving us wrong I, I think QPR are proving us wrong uh, probably Gareth Ainsworth I mean rightly so because you do go on about QPR being poor quite a lot um, so uh, I do don't. think I've praised QPR more so over the last few weeks than you have I think you've done it once no no no, no. I've been I mean, people have been tweeting me and thanking me amongst your ignorance to uh, to to the hoops there. But look, I, I I don't rate Gareth Ainsworth personally. I don't like his football. It's a personal preference. I'm just not a fan. So I would pick him to be 24th in my list every every season. But who gives you a shit if it gets results and keeps QPR in the championship? It doesn't matter. For me, where he is, QPR proving not just us, but most people wrong... And it's how resilient they've become since that really dreadful opening day defeat and some of those weird press post-match comments that Ainsworth made. They have steadily got better uh, and better since the opening day and you've got to credit Ainsworth for that. I do think he's a type of manager that if he can win the players over, then the fans, he can be a success. 
just depends whether or not this team's got enough quality to sustain it. So whilst I will you know, praise Gareth Ainsworth for turning QPR around because they were at the bottom of the barrel against Watford, um, I just I don't like his football, so I'd never choose him as my manager. Simple. Maybe I'm just being cynical, but I struggle to get excited about QPR after they've... <laughs> Hang on, Justin. We, you watched the game, didn't you? Yeah, they, I watched it back. Who was their best player in that game? Begovic? Exactly. Yeah. Begovic was easily their best player. And I will admit, they certainly look a lot more competitive. I think we're all a bit worried about them after that first game against Watford. We said at the beginning of the season that they're opening 10 games are difficult and I think six points from five games is actually really good considering that so it's all really good but I, I still have plenty of doubts over their chances of staying up I'm just looking why are you shaking your head do you think they're going to stay up I I think they've got an opportunity to do it I think there are teams in poorer states than them uh, at this point of this uh, season if if they have an injury crisis then I do worry about QPR because the depth is is a, is a big worry but I, I, I do think that QPR are on an upwards trajectory rather than flatlining or going down I'm not sure about that at all I mean I'm just looking at that squad and it's very patchy I think Jack Colback and Steve Cook have both been good additions in fairness and from my perspective I just need a lot more convincing than two wins against a not very good Cardiff side and a misfiring Borough side before I begin to think any differently about Gareth Ainsworth as a manager. By all means, prove me wrong, Mr Ainsworth, with your luscious locks. But I've got doubts in the long term about them regularly picking up enough points, I've got to say. There was a shock at the New York Stadium as Rotherham beat Norwich 2-1. Shane on Twitter says this was Norwich getting brought back to reality. And Tom says, missing Josh Sargent. And up until this weekend, we were saying Norwich had been the best team in the league. Not the case here. Norwich looked a shadow of the side we had seen in those first four games. Quite an alarming contrast, actually. It's Is it too easy to point at the absence of Josh Sargent and say that's the problem? No, I think it is. I don't think this was about missing Sargent. I thought Rotherham were brilliant. I don't think Norwich started the game well. That allowed Rotherham to to, to really take a foothold. They were superb. They were uh, aggressive. This is Rotherham and they were intense and, and they swarmed Norwich and I don't think Norwich had an answer to it. They struggled to progress the ball through the thirds like they have done, struggled to get it through Sarah and they struggled to find a solution to a high defensive line that Rotherham were deploying that really put pressure on the, on the back line uh, and unfortunately Rotherham took the chances and then defended the second half really well so I don't think it was about missing Sargent I just don't think Norwich set a high enough standard for themselves in that first half for them to, to really go and then before you know it they're 2-0 down and they've got a mountain to climb so yeah no, not a Sargent thing I just think I don't know whether it was complacency or maybe believing their own hype um, because they have been superb they have been the best team in the division up until this game um, so I think it's more so the fact that they, they started so slowly and just gave themselves a lot of work to do yeah I think you're right there Justin uh, I don't think Sargent his not him not being available is the sole contributing factor to this loss but I think it is the main contributing factor and the problem is now that Sargent's going to be out for the rest of the year which mm. I mean if that's a sign if this is a sign of things to come without him then that's a huge problem and we did speak about it in the last couple of episodes didn't we how much his return to form has played a part in Norwich's great start He's been firing in front of goal again, but it's not just that. It's the other things he brings to their attack, yeah. like his athleticism and the way he stretches defences. They didn't have another player like him. They have brought in Hui Jae Huang from Nottingham Forest, who Wagner says is a similar kind of player. But I mean, it's a huge ask for him to replace someone as good as Josh Sargent. So as far as concerns go regarding Norwich's form getting derailed by that injury, I'd say that train is swaying quite a bit after this particular performance. I suppose the international breaks come at a good time for them in that regard, isn't it? First win of the season for Rotherham. They only had a point on the board prior to this. 19-year-old Dexter Lambikisa scored a beauty from the edge of the box. He looks a very good player on loan from Wolves. Jordan Hugo scored against his old club, which he seemed to enjoy quite a bit. Um, we haven't really spoken about Rotherham yet this season. Do you think they've got enough about them to stay up, Justin? I think they they can do. 
Uh, again, a little bit like QPR, I do worry about their strength in depth, but uh, and I do think as well they're not as strong as they were at the end of last season. So I think they've got um, they've got quality in places, but lack it in other places. If that makes sense. And like I was alluding to when I was talking about Norwich, I thought the way they started this game does give you an idea of what they can bring. They have had closer games this season, um, but I know Rotherham, some Rotherham fans have suggested that they should have had nine points out of nine from their home game so far. I will disagree with that because Blackburn, uh, you know, they created an incredible amount of chances that they should have taken um, and shouldn't have been 2-0 down or, or down to 10 men at that point, but that's in the past, as we say. But... Yeah, I think they, they, they do have ability and they do have quality. It's just whether or not they can consistently pull it off because you look at this game, they took their chance as well and they defended well in the second half. Can they come up against a team who... Um, or can they do that every week at home and, and replicate some of those performances away? History tells you that's not been the case last season. So I think it depends again on other teams below them. Uh, but they're, again, like QPR, I think there are teams in worse stakes than Rosberg. Well, I remember at one point before the season started how we were discussing Rotherham's squad and how alarming it looks in terms of quality and depth. I think they have addressed it somewhat. Is it enough? Not sure at the moment. The fact that they've broken their club transfer record twice in the past couple of weeks on Christian Siehi and then Sam Nombi is interesting because Rotherham don't spend much money, if at all. Mm-hmm. Uh, Lembekisa and Fred Onyedinma have looked really good so far. It's definitely still one of the weakest squads in the division, though, without a doubt. And also, from an expected goals perspective, the average XG attack-wise so far has been 0.7. Against, it's been 1.8, which... (laughs) Yeah, not great. (laughs) You know, Rotherham fans will point to refereeing decisions not going their way, which, okay, fair, but... I do think it's not entirely the fault of referees. Mm. Um, Maybe the XG and the performances themselves will improve once the new players are playing regularly. I suppose the simple question is, will there be three worse teams than Rotherham this season? Impossible to say at this stage, but they're definitely going to be down there. I don't think anyone's expecting any difference. It's just whether they can keep their head above the water I suppose isn't it let's take a quick break just now that we'll talk about Sheffield Wednesday's first point of the season and Preston North End's top of the championship what I'm Sandra and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for but you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role like me in a given month over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites so if you're not looking on LinkedIn you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra start hiring professionals like a professional post your free job on linkedin.com people today Welcome back to the Second Tier Podcast. Sheffield Wednesday got their first point of the season after a goalless draw away at Leeds. People people may think this was a backs-to-the-walls kind of job, but it wasn't really. Wednesday defended really well and even came close to winning it with a couple of really good chances. I thought with how much better Leeds looked last weekend that this could be a long afternoon for Wednesday, but that just wasn't the case at all. Daniel on Twitter called it a well-earned point. And it has been a dumpster fire of a summer for Wednesday. The transfer window hasn't been good enough and the first couple of games were really poor. But Wednesday have been showing signs of getting better and this was another step of progress for them, wasn't it? It really was. Huge, huge progress. I thought the performance was really good. I know Leeds dominated possession, but they failed to open Wednesday up. And you've got to credit Isco for that. I've, I've barraged him... So far this season, um, they have been poor, and I do think Isco is, is is down to that. But credit to them, they were they were resolute, they were organised, and I thought Leeds only had half chances. I think it was Somerville who who broke through. Um, I can't remember if it was the first half or second half now, but he broke through at one point, and that was the most the, the most clear cut chance they had, and it was still borderline half chance when when Vasquez saved it and should probably should have rounded him, but nonetheless, um, yeah, Wednesday Wednesday were really good. I, I really enjoyed the performance. I think. 
it's disappointing that it's come at this point. They saved the best performance before a two-week break, but it's going to give you a lot of confidence going into that break. And I think that's exactly what they needed. A clean sheet is as vital, maybe as vital as three points for them at this stage. Yeah, you could say that the performance has come at the worst time, with it being just before an international break, but it does put an air of positivity yeah. into things, doesn't it? Because I think Wednesday fans were feeling a bit helpless before before this game. Look, progress is all you can really ask for. Got to be said, a win still feels like it's quite a way off, but it's certainly better than it has been in the last couple of games. So, you know, fair play to Isco Munoz. We've given him plenty of stick, but it does look like he's getting somewhere with Wednesday. Yeah. To a degree. Uh, from a Leeds perspective, Dave on Twitter says it hasn't quite clicked yet. Jack says, yay, clean sheet. Uh, a disappointing <laughs> result for Leeds, but they have had a good few days with the transfer window. We'll talk more about that in the news. Preston and North End are top of the championship. Saturday beat Stoke 2-0. Stee called it an away masterclass performance and Dave says bloody good stuff. Uh, not the team I expected to be top of the pile at any point this season, but... Here we are. And I, I will emphasise, I don't think they've been the best team in the division so far by any means, but it's all going very well, isn't it? The thing is, that has been key to this great start to the season, has been that defence, hasn't it? The mm-hmm. Great Wall of Lancashire is what I'm <laughs> dubbing it. Uh, Liam Lindsay, Jordan Story, Andrew Hughes, they have been excellent so far. And Jack Watmore, who came for this game as well. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, the the, the defence has been the, the key cog in this. I've had a few press defence again tweet me saying, oh, how about that attack? But it it was it has been the defence that's got got North End to top of the league and the hit Will Keane has been incredibly clinical and such a nuisance in the 18-yard box for, for uh, numerous opposition teams this season so far. Um, but you've got to credit Ryan Lowe. I, I really rate him really, really highly and things are not falling into place, but... You can see where he wants to go with the team. You can see the potential it's got um, in this first five games. And I do think that going away to Stoke, for example, who a lot of Stoke fans would tell you that they've had an incredible summer. They have. They've they've recruited... Um, trying to how, how would you coin it? They've recruited, not well, but in, in, in good numbers. They spent a lot of money on some players with you know a decent amount of potential. Um, so there's there's expectation there. So to go away to to, to them and, and win 2-0 and come over the clean sheet while you've had to weather some of the game as well. Yeah, I think a lot of credit um credit should go that way. And I think if you've got a solid defence, you've got a chance of finishing the top six. It's just whether or not you can take your chances. And they did in this game. Yeah, Lindsay's story in that defence were two of the best sent halves in the championship last season, weren't they? They're just too excellent and somewhat underappreciated defenders and then you add in that experience of Andrew Hughes it all comes together very nicely to be fair as well Brad Potts has had an excellent yeah. start someone I've never been particularly convinced about but he has been great uh, right wing back and then Jack Watmore coming into the team as well I rate him too I think that's a really tidy signing for Wigan overall fewest goals conceded in the division third lowest expected goals conceded it's been the bedrock of this great start, that defence, hasn't it? And will continue to be as the season goes on. I'm happy to see Ryan Lowe getting a tune out of this Preston team. I think he's a really good manager who has had to work with the hand he's been dealt and has done really well now over the past couple of seasons that he's been at, a, at mm-hmm. Deepdale. So, yeah, good to see him getting somewhere with this Preston team. Unfortunately for him, he did get beat by Chris Eubank Jr. <laughs> later in the day. But, you know... <laughs> Can't win them all. Uh, Ipswich came from 2-0 down to beat Cardiff 3-2. Freddie Ladapo scoring twice. Ipswich were reportedly keen to sell Freddie Ladapo on deadline day and he's been the saviour of them here, including a particular, a particularly great finish where it hit him straight in the face. And Mauricio says the prophecy is back on and Dan Ford says, climb aboard, Justin. Ipswich a second again, having won four of their first five. Justin, I've given you a deadline to decide if you're getting on board the Ipswich. You're going up tractor. That deadline is the next international break after this one. After that, you've either got to decide whether you're getting on board or you're going to be eating the dirt that is spewed up in your face by said tractor. No team gets promoted by October, apart from Burnley. No, no, no. I'm not saying that at all, Justin. I'm just, I just need you to commit to whether you're getting on board the tractor or not. We've got places to be, mate. Fair enough. You're not going to get very far on a tractor, to be honest with you. They... Uh... 
not very good miles per gallon, uh, and they're very slow as well. Um, I just want to hop back to that Twitter comment. What's the prophecy? Is it Ipswich going up, back-to-back promotions? It's is it Harry Potter going back to defeat Voldemort? What's going on? <laughs> it's the second-tier podcast predicting Ipswich to finish second, just Okay, okay. It's you predicting finish, uh, Ipswich to finish second. We'll, we'll put Where that did you have them again? I had them third. Exactly. <laughs> The bitterness coming through from that comment there. Uh, I'm not getting on board the tractor. I I'm not. I don't believe it. I don't believe the hype. I think a top six finish is is still is still a shoe in or a playoff place. It's still a shoe in. I think they're conceding some poor goals, which just throws a little bit of doubt in my mind. That's all. Just a little bit of doubt. Well, you say that as much as I am a fan of Ipswich. Now, apparently, the world's biggest Ipswich fan. You are. somehow, according to every other fan who is a fan of a championship club that isn't Ipswich. Um, I have got a couple of concerns. The number of goals they've been shipping recently is one. They've now conceded eight goals in three games in the League and Cup, and they had only conceded one in four prior to that. Mm-hmm. I'd also be much more confident in Ipswich if they got in another striker on deadline day. They did get in Dane Scarlett on loan from Spurs. He's a young lad. He was at Portsmouth last season, four goals in 34 games. I get the sense he wasn't their first choice, to put it politely. Having said that, he's highly rated at Spurs. Kieran McCann has been bigging him up as one of the best young strikers in English football. So we'll see with him. At the end of the day, I rate McKenna so highly that it may not matter at all them not having that elusive striker. Four wins from five games. Incredible start for anyone, let alone a... Newly promoted side, so still feeling really big on Ipswich Town is Ryan Dilks. A 95th minute winner from Jack Rodoni saw Huddersfield win 2-1 away at West Brom in the Carlos Corporan derby. Huddersfield's first win of the season in dramatic fashion. Two great goals as well. Um, Quite surprising really because it felt like there was a lot of negativity around Huddersfield in the days before because of the transfer window. The owner Kevin Nagel has seemingly been making subtle digs at Neil Warnock on Twitter. Neil Warnock has been seemingly making subtle digs at Nagel for the lack of business in the transfer window. Whose side are you on, Justin? Does uh, does Kevin Nagel want to fight? Is he is he offering is he offering us out here? Because you you don't come after Neil Warnock without without meaning it, Kevin. I'm Team Warnock, baby, all the all the way. No way, no way am I signing for anyone other than Team Neil Warnock in a in a scrap. Absolutely yeah, I, not. I was going to say, we're both Team Warnock, aren't we? The second tier <laughs> podcast is firmly so this Team is a Neil Warnock, podcast. Warnock. Basically, yes. Um, as we sit here right now, though, Justin, talking about the chaos from the whole transfer window for Huddersfield, really, it has been a pretty shocking window for them, and it? And yeah. as we sit here right now, I think Huddersfield have the worst squad in the league. It is close between them and Wednesday, I'd say, but I'd give Wednesday the nod just because of the likes of Barry Bannon, Josh Windass, etc. Possibly throwing Rotherham in that conversation as well. But the fact is, Huddersfield did absolutely nothing in the final few days of the window. And I think that is criminal because they needed several additions to this squad, particularly with a striker. And they've just got that now. And it's something I've said for weeks. The only reason I give Huddersfield any chance of staying up is because of Neil Warnock. If they had any other manager in charge of this squad, I'd struggle to see how they have any chance of staying up. So with this being the hand that he's been dealt, he's going to have to pull off another remarkable feat here, isn't he? Despite beating West Brom. And personally, I wouldn't be surprised if he walks at some point because yeah. it doesn't seem like he has the best of relationships with this owner. I was going to say, he's going to have to pull off another miracle if it can be asked to put up with these sort of digs because you've been asked, you want you want to retire, right? And then you're not backed in the summer and then the owner's still taking some pot shots at you, how big or small they are. I still, you know, there are still some, still some pot shots there. And it's like, well, what's the point in me being here then if you're not going to back me? This squad isn't good enough. It's as simple as that. You're asking a lot of some young players coming through as well to be to turn themselves into first team to first team starters and regulars. It's a lot to ask of them. It's not particularly fair either. Um, I know some others fans have alluded to some, um, you know, a low budget. They're on last year's business plan, um, FFP or profit and sustainability, sort of lurking over them a little bit. Something that is is worth checking out um, before we head into the international break, just to get a bit clearer on that. But still. Even with that around, you know, you offered Danny Ward a new contract. He's reportedly the highest earner at the club. 
why uh, he's old. Um, you know, it's just certain decisions like that. It doesn't particularly fill you, fill you with a lot of confidence and then mix that with a poor transfer window and taking part shots of Neil Warnock. You're in my bad but Kevin. Yeah. Uh, you know what? He's in my bad books as well. <laughs> he's in the bad, he's in the second tier's bad books, isn't he now? Um, also worth saying, it's not just Nagel who's in charge of the transfers. Yeah, it's <laughs> other people at the club, but ultimately... <laughs> He's the new owner, and we make that comparison to Birmingham City again, who mm-hmm. are in a similar position with new owners. Look where they are. I fully accept that there's financial bits and pieces that are stopping Huddersfield being as free-flowing with their money, but still, it's been a, an absolutely appalling window from their perspective. Game of the weekend was at the CBS Arena as Coventry and Watford drew 3 all. Coventry equalised three times here and missed a penalty. Great free kick by... Van Eckvike for Coventry. A proper own goals and gaffs goal conceded by Watford. Wesley Hoyt's passing into his own net. The game just had everything, didn't it? And Watford finally scores. Their first goals since the opening weekend helps when you've got a new striker like Mileta Rajevic, who's a big lad, which means Justin Peach is going to be a fan of him because he likes his big boy strikers. I do like my big boy strikers. Big number nines, there's something about them. Oof, football. Yeah, love it. Um, and he scored like a proper number nine as well because it was inside the box on the end of uh, on the end of pullbacks. And that's what you need. And I thought Watford had a lot of quality going forwards that they've lacked. And I did mention uh, midweek that Watford, I thought Watford have more quality than Coventry. Just sadly that Wes Hoy scored that own goal how he did and defensively they just haven't shown the same consistency as they have done over the last few weeks because I thought Watford going forward were great Tom Ince was good as well I thought again really impressed me um, it, this was a game I would have banked it being close a close nil-nil or a one-nil there goes yeah there goes that prediction that was that was a poor one but yeah Watford impressed me Coventry fight back again a lot of character there what do you expect from a Mark Robbins side so yeah a, a game where they both shot themselves in the foot and displayed some good good moments yeah well that Ryevich signing he has looked he, well it's only been a short cameo really for him so far in this one game and then coming off the bench against Blackburn but he does look a dangerous player I, I've been a bit skeptical about Watford's transfer business over the past summer but he looks like he could be a really really good signing so Hopefully we uh, see him score a few more goals. And of course, it is worth pointing out as well, he is a rallying Ishmael kind of striker, isn't he? Because he is a big boy. From a Coventry perspective, Luke Spud says they're too open defensively. Um, fair enough. Swansea <laughs> on Bristol City 2. Swansea are in the bottom three. How has this happened? Got a bit under the radar, hasn't it? I think. Mm. But they're one of three teams yet to win a game. And I'm seeing a lot of Swansea fans not too impressed with Michael Duff, Justin. Yeah, just patience. Patience because he will get it right. He had a poor start with Barnsley last season in League One. They they looked they looked really poor in the first few games or from what I saw, um they they looked poor and in the end it did click. Gotta remind yourselves as well that you're going from Russell Martin Ball, where we we're seeing even now at Southampton that they are they they're quite open. Swansea were quite open last season. Duff likes to be a solid outfit and they're still having teething issues which is to be expected so for me it's just a case of remain patient I think Duff will get it right it's going to be a transition season because you're going from one style of play to another while overhauling a squad just uh, don't don't get too don't get too aggy with him he will get it right I, I believe in him yeah I believe in Michael Duff as well but he hasn't helped himself with his comment afterwards True. about the South Wales derby which is Swansea's next game he said it's an important game but it's not the be all and end all I'd rather win promotion and get beat by Cardiff twice I get the sentiment behind it but first of all it's a bit weird talking about promotion when you have two points from your first five games and secondly not a good look for any manager to not understand the importance of a local derby to supporters Swansea had a pretty unremarkable season last season the major highlight was Ben Cabango's winner in the 99th minute against Cardiff. So he's shot himself in the foot massively by not getting the importance of that game, I think. Plymouth 3, Blackburn nil, 43 shots in this game. That is mental. I think it was 23 to Plymouth, 20 to Blackburn. So quite even, really, on that basis. So maybe 3 nil is a bit harsh on Blackburn, but a great victory for Plymouth. They sit 10th in the table. And finally, Birmingham continued their unbeaten start to the season with a one-all draw at home to Millwall. Al says it was the same old shit for Millwall. 
There you well, go. Kevin Nisbet scores outside the box. That's worth pointing out. I didn't expect him to do that at all. By John Ruddy <laughs> having a paper wrist, so I wanted. <laughs> right now, it's time for this. Yes, it's time for the news. So, of course, we've had the closing of the transfer window since we last spoke. We're going to have more of a deep dive into the transfer window over the international break. But here's some of the key deals which were completed. Southampton probably had the best deadline day. They signed Ross Stewart eventually from Sunderland in an £8 million deal. That one was reportedly not going through. Then it was. Then it wasn't. Then it was just announced all of a sudden. The remarkable thing is Stuart looked as if he was going to be a replacement for Che Adams, but he ended up staying as well, which I thought was quite surprising, Justin. Uh, yes, mainly because there are a lot of Premier League teams who need a striker. Um, uh, and for whatever reason, they haven't forked out for him. But I think that's only a benefit for, for Southampton, isn't it? Because he's he's a good, um, he's, he's a really good forward at championship level when I think he can score goals. And if you've got him and Ross Stewart, uh, as a package that's a, a lot of potential to add a, a fair bit of cutting edge into that final third that is desperately needed yeah well it is desperately needed in Justin Peach's view um, Ross Stewart and Che Adams god that is some that is a pair of strikers isn't it? and Adam Armstrong who of course was top goal scorer in the division up until this weekend so mm-hmm. yeah a lot of a firepower in terms of strikers there the other big signing for Southampton on deadline day was Taylor Harwood Bellis on loan from Man City now for anyone who listened to the podcast last season you will know I am a huge fan of Taylor Harwood Bellis I cannot believe he did not get a move to a Premier League side he was brilliant at Burnley last season him and Jordan Bayer were absolutely magnificent a proper Rolls Royce defender because he was great at the actual defending side of things but then excellent with the ball at his feet his progressive passes were out of this world when he was playing and not injured so him in a Russell Martin system is going to be a joy to watch he will go a long way to helping solidify that leaky Southampton defence as well incredibly talented for just a 21 year old I've tipped him to play for England in the past I still think that's the case so I think this is a ridiculously good signing for Southampton can't disagree with any of that. He showed his quality last season. I don't think he's a Rolls-Royce defender because I don't think that saying should exist in, in the <laughs> realm of football, but you get the idea. He's so composed and he's such a good defender and he's a leader as well. And that's the, the key thing is, it's quite interesting actually. Now, Ward-Prowse is gone. Um, I, I don't know who's been made captain. I know Adam Armstrong was captain against Sunderland, but is there a lack of leaders at the club? Jack Stevens is injured as well. Um, but Taylor Harwood Bellis is coming in. He's only going to, he's going to, he's going to, He's only going to help that on the pitch. So, yeah, he brings those elements to it as well. So it was a, it was a good transfer deadline day in the end for, for Saints. Yeah, definitely was. Leicester have signed striker Tom Cannon from Everton for a fee reported to be around £7.5 million. He was on loan at Preston last season and seemed to be linked with literally every championship club at some point over the summer. Now, we spoke about him in midweek, potentially going to Middlesbrough, and you had a bit of scepticism then, Justin. What about this? I, I think it's a good signing. I think it's a good signing for any championship team. I'm just sceptical of the fee because you look at Ellis Sims, who struggled at Coventry, he's gone for a sizable fee. Tom Cannon might, you know, might, the same thing might happen. I think the only difference here is Leicester have got plenty of money in the bank from player sales and parachute payments as well. So affordability-wise, they can they can afford to fork out on £7.5 million. So I do think it's a good signing. I think he can be a clinical forward. I think a loan with a view to buy makes more sense to me, but... That's just if I'm a director of football and recruiting for my team. It's nothing against Tom Callan or Leicester City by any means. Well, when we spoke about it on Thursday, the fee that was being touted was three million. And I thought that was fair and worth the gamble. Seven and a half million is a bit of a different story. I know money doesn't really matter in football too much anymore, but still, that seems a lot of money for someone who only has played 25 games at senior level. Yeah. The thing is, as well, most of the Tom Cannon goals I remember from last season involve him being put through one-on-one with the goalkeeper. That's not going to happen very often with this Leicester team where the opposition are sitting back in 95% of games. So he'll have to adapt his game in that sense. I just think it's a bit of a strange move because it seems like Leicester thought to themselves, we desperately need a striker and they 
panic bought in. It's deadline day tax, isn't it? That's three million pounds a month ago. Um, it's just I don't I don't think I think Everton have just smelt a bit of a bit of desperation and added a few figures, a few figures to it because, like you said, I don't think he's worth seven and a half million pounds, but Leicester can afford it. But you are right. I think maybe not the forward that Leicester need. Probably someone who's more capable of playing with his back to goal. But we've got to bear in mind that Tom Cannon is twenty, not played a lot of senior games, so there's certainly room to develop that into his game. Um, it's just whether or not he can adapt to the expectation of playing for Leicester, pushing promotion, and the fee as well. So that's that, you know, a couple of big factors in there um, to to potentially worry about. Middlesbrough made an eye-catching couple of moves. Sam Greenwood has come in on loan from Leeds, and so has Lewis O'Brien from Forest. Lewis O'Brien back in the Championship. Justin, we're both big fans, aren't we? Yeah, I was so disappointed he went to Nottingham Forest, not because I'm a Derby fan, but because I knew he wasn't going to game, get going to get game time because of how fickle the transfer uh, recruitment strategy is there. He should be play, playing Premier League football. He's not. He was the best uh, midfielder in the Championship at the point uh, of his departure. I, I do think he can recover that and he's the perfect addition into that midfield because I don't think Hayden Hackney and Johnny Housen are the right pairing for Middlesbrough to be a solid enough outfit for them not to be played through. Add O'Brien into that. He's got the whole package as a midfielder. There should have been more teams in for him. They weren't Middlesbrough uh, laughing potentially at this one. Yeah, well, I completely agree with everything you say there, Justin. He should be playing in the Premier League. He got completely screwed over by Forrest with their crazy recruitment from over a year ago, which has essentially set him back a year in his career, hasn't it? But Mm -hmm. the season before that, he was the best midfielder in the division, wasn't he? He was the main reason Huddersfield got to a playoff final. And... He deserved to be playing Premier League football the season afterwards, but just wasn't to be for reasons out of his control. Having said that, quality signing for Middlesbrough. Him and Hayden Hackney midfield is a partnership made in heaven. That has got me foaming at the mouth. Just a shame about what's in front of those two. Um, It was a busy couple of days for Leeds. Lewis Sinistera left despite telling Leeds fans 12 hours earlier outside of the training ground that he wasn't going. But three players came in, including Jaden Anthony from Bournemouth, Glenn Kamara from Rangers and Ilya Gruov from Werder Bremen. What do you think, Justin? I don't know anything about Gruov. I think Jaden Anthony is a really good capture because, again, he's a player who I really enjoyed watching. And if you put him in his Fark team compared to what he put out in that Scott Parker team, I think there's a lot more potential in Anthony in terms of what he can put out under Daniel Farker because Scott Parker's boring football, whereas Daniel Farker's a little bit more, a little bit more on edge. Um, and I like Glenn Kamara as well. I think he's he's going to add a lot of steel into that midfield um, and help turn possession over quite quickly, which is what um, which is what Leeds need. In terms of incomings, Leeds probably had the best transfer window in the Championship. It's just ruined by losing more than a dozen players yeah. for less than £25 million, isn't it? And most of them on loans. So, I mean, the standard of player who's come in there is incredibly high. So it has been a good transfer window to some extent. Um, is there a transfer that we haven't mentioned yet from the past couple of days, Justin, which particularly stood out for you? How many can I pick out? Just one, please. Oh, um... Alan Campbell to Millwall, I really like. I know he lost his place in the Luton team last season, but I, I'm a big Alan Campbell fan. Um, he kicks opposition. He's just He makes the ugly work look nice in midfield. And I think, again, it, that's exactly what Millwall need. I am going to go against you. I think Liam Kitching's Coventry move raised eyebrows for £4 million. I don't think he's worth that. But again, like Tom Cannon, deadline day tax. Okay. I think the Campbell signing is very tidy. It seems like a perfect fit for Millwall that, doesn't it? And look, he was excellent for Luton last season and was deemed surplus to requirements this season. Fair, because he deserves to be playing regular to championship football. I wouldn't have been surprised if he played quite a few games in the Premier League because I think he's a properly good player. Let's do the polls just in this the part of the show where we give the listeners three questions on Twitter because we want to get their thoughts on everything to do with the championship. So, first question we asked was this, which of these deadline day signings will be the best? Ross Stewart, Tom Cannon, Lewis O'Brien, Jaden Anthony. Ah, oh, damn it. Lewis O'Brien. I want to go Ross Stewart but Lewis O'Brien. I'd probably say Lewis O'Brien or Ross Stewart. I'm going to sit on the fence with that one. 30% of people said Stewart. 27% said Cannon. 24% said O'Brien. 19% said Anthony. Will Middlesbrough get back on track with Michael Carrick in charge? Yes or no? Yes, if they sack him and rehire him in October. (laughs) Still not sure about that tactic, but you do you. 43% of people said yes. Only 
hope 57% said no. So a lot of people mm. losing confidence in old Michael Carrick. And finally, what's your favourite Scandinavian country? Denmark, Finland, Norway or Sweden? Um, I think I've said on the podcast in years gone by that Sweden have a taco night on a Friday. I love, mm. I love, um, I love tacos. So maybe Sweden, but football manager recruiting from Scandinavia, I always go to Denmark. So maybe Denmark. Yeah. I'm going to Denmark this coming week. So Ooh. I will let you know how good Denmark actually is. I'll, I'll save my opinion well. until then. Pastries, yeah, I'm really looking forward yeah. to some Danish pastries. Um, where were we? 35% of people said Sweden. 30% said Denmark. 26% said Norway. Only 9% said Finland. Poor Finland. Now it's time wow. for this. Hi, Simon Grayson Edge. It's time for Simon Grayson's Hateful Eight. Someone asked Justin to name eight of a certain subject. All he's got to do is name all eight. So, for example, if I would say name Steve Bruce's last eight clubs, he would say Villa, that's one down, and then Newcastle, that's another down. But if Justin were to then say Weymouth, he'd lose a life. So all he needs to do is give me all eight answers without losing all his lives. Justin, Simon Grayson has given you three lives on this, so you can afford to get three wrong. This week, you have a question not about the championship at all. Because I wanted to spread my wings, or Simon Grayson wanted to spread his wings. Um, can you name for me the eight longest-serving clubs in La Liga? Huh, no. <laughs> wow. Okay. Just, just tactic is just think of the biggest clubs in La Liga. Just think so. of the biggest clubs. Okay. Uh, I'll start now then. Real Madrid. Yep. One of three clubs in there since it was founded in 1929. That is a one down. Barcelona. Yep. One of the other clubs in there since 1929. So two down. I know Atletico got relegated in the late 90s. Mm. So no, not going to say them. Um, Valencia. Valencia is correct. They've been in the top flight since 1987. You are correct with them. Three down, five to go. I now can't think of any uh, teams in La Liga. Sevilla. Yes. They've been there since 2001. So... Quite recent-ish, mm. really. Um, halfway there, Justin, you've got most of the easy ones. Where is Sevilla in the one Sevilla off fifth. Okay. Villarreal. Villarreal. Villarreal are not in there. Shit. I think they got relegated in the mid-2010s, didn't they? Ah, oh, um, Maybe they did. So that's one life down. You've got two lives remaining, Justin, and four to go. Four to go. Two lives remaining. Uh, Espanyol have been relegated. Uh, Deportivo, nowhere to be seen. So definitely going to say them. Um, and I've said Valencia. I genuinely cannot think of any more Serie A clubs. No, no, shush. Uh, Atletico Bilbao. Athletic Bilbao are correct. That's the final club who have been in the Liga since it was founded. So well done to them. Um, that means you've got three remaining, Justin. You have mentioned one of them, and considering we, you know, we spoke about Sevilla being there since two thousand and one, and they're the fifth most recent. Then I'm, I'm thinking you should probably think of this other team. I've mentioned him already. Yes. Shit. But I've mentioned I, I reeled off a load of clubs now. Um, literally right at the start. Ah, uh, nuts! I can't remember who I said. Uh, Real Sociedad. I'll say them. Real Sociedad are correct. They've been in there since 2010. So very recent. Uh, so far you've said Barca, Real Madrid, Bilbao, Valencia, Sevilla and Sociedad. You've got two remaining. Who did I say at the start? God. <laughs> Who are the three biggest clubs in Spain right now? Oh, Atletico Madrid then. Exactly. Oh, oh yeah, because of time. <laughs> yep, they've been in La Liga since 1934, apart from two seasons in the second tier in the early 2000s. So you've got one remaining, Justin. I thought it might come down to this one. It is a club you've definitely heard of, because obviously it's quite a big club in Spain, but two lives remaining. Have a stab. Uh, two lives remaining. I'm now sort of thinking geographically around Spain. Um, Osasuna? Osasuna is not correct. I think they got promoted relatively recently. Um, so one life remaining, Justin Peach. Who are you saying? I'm going to say Ibar. Is that a case of the first one that just came to your head? Yeah, yeah, yeah. 
they even yeah, in that's... the league anymore? Whatever the case, it's not correct. <laughs> uh, the team you were looking for, Celta Vigo. Oh, you know what? They were the first ones that came to my head as soon as you mentioned La Liga at the start. And I don't know why they left my uh, my thinking. Well, they shouldn't no. have because they were bloody right. How do you feel about that? Uh, yeah, pretty pissed at that. forgot yeah. about Real Betis as well and Joaquin. Yeah, Betis, one of the clubs who have been in La Liga for quite some time, but I think they've only just been promoted again quite recently. So yeah. unlucky, JP. So that's been Simon Grayson Take for Late. This has been the Second Tier Podcast. We'll be back again on Thursday where we're going to be doing a bit of a transfer roundup. Actually, our next episode is going to be transfer roundups. On Thursday, we're going to be going through the worst of the transfer window. On Sunday, we're going to be going through the best of the transfer window in the championship. So we look forward to seeing you then, ladies and gents. This has been the Second Tier Podcast. I've been Ryan Dilks. I've been Justin Peach. And a big thank you for listening. Second Tier is a stack production and part of the ACAST Creator Network.